0: Good morning, Hope Elam. So good to see all of you this morning. I want to welcome you here. My name is Pastor John, one of the pastors here on staff. And if I had have a chance to meet you yet, I would love to do that as well. I want to welcome all of you that are in the room today as well as all of you worshiping with us online. It's so good to have you here. It is a great day uh, to worship God. And it's hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm not even talking about a football game. Praise God for the holy mess of food donations in our lobby. That's awesome. So excited about that. Thank you to those of you that dropped those off earlier this week uh, on our drive through prayer event, as well as if you brought them here uh, this morning. It looks like a medium-sized grocery store out there. So that's awesome. That'll be uh, benefiting some local uh, food pantries and shelters here in the city that are running low this time of year after the holiday season. And as well as Dorothy's House, which is a ministry that we have right here uh, in our building on the third floor that uh, it works with particularly women that are coming out of uh, human trafficking and, and going to those recovery houses as well. So know that you're making a tangible difference in people's lives in the name of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, he's the reason we exist. He's the reason that we exist as a church. But if you think about it, there is a lot of confusion in the world today about who Jesus is. There is one person that is not confused about who he is, and that's Jesus himself. That's the seven I am statements that you saw in the opening video there from the Gospel of John. Jesus is very clear about who he is. And yet from the moment that Jesus arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago up until right now here today, Jesus has been misunderstood, misquoted, misidentified. If we were to go out on the street today and take a poll and interview a hundred different people and ask them, who do you say that Jesus is? We would probably get a hundred different answers, right? There is a lot of confusion out there about that. If that question was posed to you today, if the microphone was put to your lips today, Who is Jesus? Not just who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? What would you say? Not what you're supposed to say, not the Sunday school answer, not what your parents taught you, not what you think you should say, but what would you say? That might be the most important question you're ever asked in your life, if you think about it. Who is Jesus to you? Because the way that you answer that question will determine not only your life now, but for eternity. Well, it turns out we're not the only ones to wrestle with that question. Jesus' own disciples were asked that very question by Jesus himself in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16. So if I got any Bible readers in the house today, grab your Bibles, open them up, or if you got your Bible app to Matthew chapter 16 as we're going to start. We're going to do a little Bible study here today, if that's okay with you. And I tell you what, no matter who's preaching up here, you can bring your Bible every single weekend. We're one of those crazy churches that uses our Bible every week. Okay, so you can just plan on bringing that if you don't have one. I know you've got a phone in your pocket. Go to the app store and search you version and download that free Bible app, it'll even read it to you. There's Bible reading plans, and then it's always in your pocket, so you've got it. If you're new to the Bible, Praise God that you're here. We're so glad. If you can't remember the last time you cracked open a Bible, that's great. So Matthew is one of the Gospels. And so just so we're all on the same page, those are the four books that tell the story of Jesus' life. And so Matthew 16 is where we're going to start. This is deep into Jesus' ministry. This is about two years into Jesus' ministry, and yet people are still asking that question. Who is this rabbi From Nazareth, that that came out of this sleepy town, and we don't really understand who he is. But if you're the disciples, think about it. You have spent every waking moment with Jesus now for over two years. You've walked together. You've ate together. You've laughed together and cried together and shared meals together. You should know who Jesus is by now. You should have passed all of your Bible quizzes and and covered all the basics of who Jesus is. And then we hear Jesus kind of pop this question. They're at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked them this question. Oh, hey guys, um, who do people say... That the Son of Man is. In other words, what's the buzz on this? What's the word on the street? What's the what's the buzz out there? And of course, the disciples have no problem chiming in when it's somebody else's answer. You're totally open to sharing that. And so the disciples like, oh well, Jesus, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. Other people say that you're like the second coming of Elijah, one of the prophets. In other words, here's what everybody else is saying. But everything is about to change. In the midst of the chatter, and they're all chatting. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's what I heard last week. Yeah, that's what somebody said. That's what my friend Bob said. Yeah, that's great. And they're all talking. And then Jesus kind of cuts through the chatter and asks this question. Let's read it together. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Um, yeah, this just got personal. I, I know what everybody else has said. I know what you grew up with. I know what you're supposed to say. I know what all the people at church say, the person down the row from you. I know what you've been taught to say. This got real personal. I can just imagine crickets, you know, all the disciples are kind of staring at their feet and whistling, you know, oh, you're talking to me? Oh, because nobody wants to answer that question. Because the fact is, is that you and I can go our entire lives going through the motions. Not Christianity, but churchianity. We can go through the motions and you can come here every week and you can sing the songs and pray the prayers and show up and your heart is not in it one bit. And it's not real for you. If Je- Sometimes I just imagine I'm up here preaching. This would be amazing. And Jesus himself just walks through the doors back there. You know, he'd give, give our usher Tony a little fist bump probably and come through, you know, and, and he's got his mask on, every social distancing, and Jesus walks up here. I'd be like, you can have the stage, sir, Right? Imagine Jesus walks up to you and just sits down next to you and not with any sense of condemnation or shame, but just looks at you in the eyes this morning. You know, looks at you with those eyes that can see right through you. All the walls and all the masks that we put on. You know, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How's your marriage this morning? Fine, it's great. How's work? Fine. How's your heart? Fine. What if it's not Fine. And Jesus has already seen through that. And that he knows you better than you know yourself. And Jesus comes up to you this morning and just sits down to you, next to you, so gentle. Looks at you with those eyes of compassion and says, How are things between us these days? What what would you say? What What would you answer? Fine? Or is there a disconnect there? And I've got really, really good news for you this morning. If you are feeling far away from God, he's not the one who left. He's never left you. He's always been there, and he's right there next to you this morning inviting you, yes, not just to know about him, but to know him. Who do you say that I am? That's the goal, but the problem is is that you and I don't always live that way. We have the the habit and kind of run the the risk of making Jesus not who he is and letting him come to us on his terms, but we want Jesus to come on our terms. I'm going to make Jesus whoever I want him to be. So we struggle with this question of who is Jesus as well. And I think what you and I do, I find myself doing sometimes, I slip into these habits and way of life, is that we put Jesus in a box. And we limit him and we say, well, this is what you're like, Jesus, because this is what I prefer my Jesus to be like. And so out of the prop room back here is our three different, I feel like an infomercial right now, Jesus in a box. The first way that we put Jesus in the box is, oh, he's just a good religious teacher. He, he, you know, he's, he's good, there's a lot of good religious, moral, spiritual teachers out there. You can kind of pick and choose whatever religion you want. They're all sort of the same. Jesus said some nice things, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. I'm all down with that. Jesus is a really good religious leader for an hour on Sunday morning. And I'm going to put him in that Sunday morning box because really what could Jesus have to say about my marriage? What could Jesus have to possibly say about my finances or the, my priorities and the way that I spend my time or my parenting? I'm just going to keep Jesus in that Sunday morning for an hour box because he doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of my life. And some of you are saying, no, 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 that's it. I like my Jesus more as a consultant Jesus, you know. I'll bring him off the shelf when I need him. I got some big questions, Pastor John, going on in my life. I got some stuff that I'm wrestling with. So I I need some opinions, so I'm going to take a poll on Facebook and kind of look at what everybody else around me is doing and see what the popular opinions are of the day and how to do things, how to be married, how to treat your kids, how to spend your time, how often you should worship, what you should be involved in. And then I'll get Jesus' opinion and just mix it in with everybody else's. It's my Jesus in a box. He's my consultant. The problem is it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. The problem is he's God and you're not, okay? And the problem is, not the problem, but the good thing is, is he knows you better than anybody else. No, no, Pastor John, that's not it. He's not a religious leader for me. He's not a consultant. The way we live our lives, my Jesus in a box, is he's my good luck charm Jesus. When I'm really struggling, then I'll pray come on, Jesus. How many of you have done this? If this team wins, I'll go to church every day for the rest of my life, right? Some of you are saying that tonight, Chiefs fans, right? We'll see you in church next Sunday. Thank you very much, okay? If you're going to treat him that way, then show up in his house, okay? Jesus is your good luck charm. Oh, God, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'm going to pray a lot if I read my Bible, if I'm a really good person, then I'll have good things happen to me. The problem is that's either Santa or karma and neither are in the Bible. It's not the gospel. The gospel isn't you get what you deserve. The gospel is you get what you don't deserve and that's undeserved grace. Okay, that's the gospel. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is not your good luck charm and he'll never fit in a box. The thing is you can't fit an infinite God into a finite box he'll never fit think about this if there was a god that created the universe and created the galaxy created everything that we see including you and he knows everything about you the hairs on your head or for pastor michael and i the hair is not on our head he knows everything he knows everything about you he knows you better than you know yourself Let him out of the box and let him come to you on his terms this morning, not your terms. Amen? Jesus says, I'm not even in the box. (laughs) I've never been, I'll I'll, I'll never fit. And this morning, I want all of you. I want all of you. One of the greatest Christian authors and thinkers of all time is C.S. Lewis. And he was a, a former atheist. And as he was working out this question who is Jesus to me? This is one of the smartest scholars to ever live. And this is the conclusion that he came to. Well, actually, yeah, this is great. This is what we do with our God in the box. C.S. Lewis didn't say this. I don't know, but I thought it was good. Go, Go ahead and go back. Sorry, I'm playing with you. God created humankind in his image, and oftentimes we return the favor, don't we? God, I want you to be whoever I want you to be. Now Lewis says this. Go ahead. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the true vine, I'm the bread of life, I'm the gate, I'm, all these things would not be just a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or a liar. If somebody walked up to you on the street today and said, hey, I'm Bill, I'm the resurrection and the life, you'd be, you would be a lunatic or a liar. Who says things like that? a lunatic, a liar, or maybe God. Maybe he is who he says he is. Either this man was and is the son of God or something, a madman or something worse. And then it continues. Go ahead and go to the next screen. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord of God. But let us not go halfway, folks. You can't go halfway with Jesus. You can't show up for an hour on Sunday morning and say, there it is. There's my religious offering to you, Jesus. We're good, right? looks at you and says, I want all of you. I want all of you. I want your heart to be in it. Let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. By the things that Jesus said and the things that he did, you cannot just say he was a good teacher. You cannot just leave out he was a good man. He's a consultant. He's a good religious teacher. He's my good luck charm or even a celebrity. And that brings us to John chapter 6. Our Bible reading for today, which Susie so eloquently read for us earlier, hold your your, uh, finger there in Matthew 16 and go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus has started to perform many miracles. And he's gaining popularity. He's gaining quite the following. So the crowds call out, Jesus, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? So Bible readers, as you read the Gospels, what you got to understand is that the reason that there is this tension all the time of Jesus not wanting to move the storyline along faster is that the crowds were always interested in what Jesus could do for them. The Gospel writers instead are interested in telling you who Jesus is. Because once you answer that question, the rest takes care of itself. But the the crowd there was just interested in being fans of Jesus because he's a celebrity and not followers. And there's a big difference between being a fan and a follower. Just so I get a show of hands here today, how many Chiefs fans are in the house uh, today? Okay. Wow. Okay. How many Buccaneers fans? Okay, that's kind of what it was the first service too, okay? How many mourning Bears, Vikings, or Packers fans out there that are in the state of mourning? Okay, gotcha, right? You know what it's like to not be a bandwagon fan. Those of you that are Chiefs fans, were you Chiefs fans seven years ago and they were terrible? Maybe, maybe not. Don't lie, you're in church, okay? Because nobody likes a bandwagon fan that hops on just when things are going good. Jesus wants followers, not fans. And that's why in the midst of all of this, Jesus says, verse 34, the crowd says, give us bread every day. Feed us, Jesus. Give us what we want from you. And Jesus responds, let's read it together, verse 35, nice and loud. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. So Jesus says the first of these seven I am statements that, that really make it clear what his identity here is in the gospel of John. Some of you are like, why would Jesus make these outrageous claims? If you had the cure to cancer, would you tell people? If you yourself were the answer, if you yourself were the answer to what everybody's desperate for, wouldn't you make it as clear as day? And he did. We don't always take him up on that. We don't always believe him. And so Jesus says these I am statements. I am the bread of life here in John 6. The light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection of the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. I don't see religious guy on there anywhere. I don't see consultant. I don't see good luck charm. I don't see my friend for an hour on Sunday morning once a week on there. Let Jesus come to you as he is and not as you want him to be. Jesus says, I am. Now, whenever we translate the original Greek here of the New Testament into English, sometimes we can get a little confused because the, the verb tenses are different. So if you go to the next slide, this is I am. Everybody say I am. I am. In the Greek, it's ego, ami. Everybody say ego, ami. me. Ego, you know the way I remember that? Ego waffles, baby. <laughs> Greek, all the way. Ego, ami. I am. The problem is in the Greek, there is a te- verb tense called the present active tense. We don't have a tense like that, right? We have past, we have present, we have future. They have a present active tense, which basically means now and ongoing. It has always been and it always will be. So some Bible scholars will actually translate that as Jesus says this, all the way back to the way that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush when God said, I am who I am. Jesus is saying to us, I will be who I will be. In other words, I'm God, not your hobby. Don't put me in your box. I will be who I will be. I don't fit in your box. There's a lot of conversation these days about who the greatest of all time is. You ever heard these hear these arguments in sports or music or whatever? Who's the goat? Right, the acronym, greatest of all time. Right In basketball, it's, is it Jordan? Is it, is it LeBron? In, in football, it's pretty widely agreed upon that it's probably Tom Brady uh, who's playing quarterback for the Bucks this afternoon. He, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. People ask, Jesus, who's the, who's the GOAT? I am. I am, Jesus says, the greatest of all time. I'm not just the GOAT, I'm the Lamb that was slain. The Lamb is greater than the GOAT any day. I am, Jesus says. And as with every statement, every single one of these I am statements, ego a me, that Jesus makes, he's challenging us with two questions that every single one of us needs to answer. Number one, who is Jesus? And he's defined that for us. He's not left that up for debate. And number two, more importantly, who is Jesus to you? Don't leave here today without an answer to that question. And that brings us back to where we started. So flip back where I had you hold your finger there to Matthew 16, where we started. Jesus' and the disciples have stopped at this place called Caesarea Philippi. This is an actual shot of modern-day tourists there, and you can see it's the, this beautiful waterfalls. It's like a resort place uh, now these days, but it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. And the reason it was so beautiful, you can kind of see some carvings and different things up there uh, in the rocks. But if you go there, what you'll see today is there's still these ancient ruins. Thousands of years ago, when Alexander the Great was coming through and conquering this area, they, would, they had multiple gods, and so they built these idols and statues to, to worship. And then hundreds of years later, when the Roman Empire came through, they kind of tore some of those down and built their own. And they built a temple to Zeus and all these different idols and gods and statues. And so imagine being there. And you, you're standing there with Jesus and the disciples, and you look up and you are surrounded by all these fake gods, all these human-made, small g gods. And Jesus turns and looks at you and says, All right, everybody, who am I to you? And you know, there's crickets and nobody wants to answer. And then our good, good boy Simon Peter, always known for sticking his foot in his mouth, kind of pushes his way through the, through the group and says, uh, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I can imagine all the disciples are like, what's going to happen? Did he get it right? Is Jesus going to be mad? Right? Uh, There's just like this awkward tension. And then I can just see Jesus coming up to him and grabbing him, holding his face and looking him right in the eyes. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This isn't what your mommy and daddy said. This is what you said. This was revealed to you by your father in heaven. And Bible scholars will argue and debate. This is is called the Great Confession, they call it. The Great Confession. Why? (laughs) There's nothing great about it other than it was real. It was from the deepest part of who he was. When Jesus becomes real for you, there's no denying it. John Wesley, another great church father, was fond of saying, set yourself on fire for Jesus and other people will come and watch you burn. You don't have to be flamboyant about it. You can't deny when somebody is all in. Jesus says, I want all of you this morning. Is it real for you? It was real for Peter, and it was real for this next guy I want to show you. Some of you may be familiar. There's a comedian named Michael Jr., he's one of my favorite comedians. I've seen him several times. He's doing a live show. And he has this segment where he calls it uh, break time and he just finds somebody in the audience, some random person he's never met before and has a conversation with them. And so he finds this guy that's sitting in the front row at one of his shows that happens to be uh, a music teacher, high school, college music teacher. And watch what happens when he shifts from knowing about something to it becomes real. Take a look. Hmm. Yeah, praise God. Do you know your why this morning? Are you so focused on all the differences and all the different styles and all the genres and everything going on around you that you haven't thought recently, why do I come to church? Why do I sing? Why is God worthy of my worship no matter what? The first time, he knew about this amazing grace. The second time, He was singing about his Savior. He found his why. When the disciples answered Jesus' first question, they knew about Jesus. When Peter himself answered Jesus' question, he was talking about his Savior. When Jesus becomes real for you, it changes everything. Can we just be honest? Strip it all away. All of the music, all of the lights, all of the, the magic fog, whatever it is, strip it all away. We want you to experience the life and the love of Jesus Christ at Hope Elam. It's our why. The reason we do everything we do. It's our number one value as a church. Jesus is life and the rest is details. Don't miss the most important thing. Amen. Don't miss it. And when, Je- when you find your why, when Jesus becomes real for you, it changes everything. It changes the way you pray. It changes the way you spend your time. It changes the way that you parent. It changes your marriage. It changes the words that come out of your mouth. It changes the way you worship. Amen? Now let's have a little family talk for a second. If you've been coming the last several weeks or since we started as a church, depending on your church background, depending on your musical taste— you might have looked around a few times and said to yourself, what in the world is going on at this church? This is not what I'm used to. I've never sung these types of songs. I've never prayed like this. I've never heard people say things like this. And I, I do not understand this. Some people say that Pastor Hurst and I preach so different, and I just don't understand it. I feel like you're getting the same thing up here. Like we have very similar styles and personalities. I don't get it. I don't Brother, I'll never understand why the, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. The differences and the changes may be an adjustment for you. We get that. It's an adjustment for us too. We're used to certain things. And depending on your background, you've maybe never experienced the things that you're experiencing here before. And if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling uncomfortable a little bit, if you're feeling a little disjointed, or where do I fit, or this isn't quite my style, or I've never done this before, I've got really good news for you. Every single person in this room and online is feeling the exact same way, okay? Okay, and you want to know why? Because we're new. We're about a two and a half month old church plant right here. We're a brand new church. And when you are a brand new church, it's like you're a brand new family. And when you're a brand new family, you have a brand new identity. And you're gonna do things that you've never done before. It's just like marriage. When I got married, I'm leaving my family behind and my primary allegiance is now in this new family with my wife. I'm gonna bring the best of and she's gonna bring the best of, but we are forming something new. And the way that I did things growing up In my immature days, are going to be different when I transition. And a part of maturity is learning to see things from others' perspective. A part of maturity is doing things that you have never done, because just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. And that applies to worship. And that applies to preaching. And that applies to our prayer and and, and all of that. And I think another danger that we have is that not only do we put Jesus in a box. We can put our worship in a box. And the dangerous thing that we do is say, but but I don't like it, and it doesn't fit my box of the way that I was conditioned, how I was brought up in the church. Whether, like Jed said, whether you sang out of a hymnal or you've ever had words on the screen before. The good thing is I don't see any of that in the Bible. It doesn't say you have to do it this way, so don't put the God of the universe in a box but we do these things and we say these things, it doesn't fit my preferences or my style or my opinion. Therefore, it must not be spirit led. It must not be spirit. You have to pray a certain way and then it's spirit filled. Let me just make this clear for all of us so we're on the same page. Being spirit led is not a style of worship, it's whether our hearts are surrendered. Being spirit-led is nothing to do with style, and it has everything to do with substance. It has everything to do with what is going on in our hearts. Let the God of the universe out of your worship box and let him be who he is. A God that every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every color is going to worship someday. Let him out of the box. So when you encounter something new, and I am doing this too, it's a transition for all of us. Whatever style you encounter, there's two questions I want you to ask yourself. If you're wrestling with this, number one is this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. God, what do you want to teach me? When you walk into worship every week, is your heart like this, closed off? Or is your heart like this? God, I just—I guess I haven't learned that yet. I'm not going to push it aside. I'm not going to say, well, I don't like this style. I like this song, but not this song. So there's no way I can possibly worship. I'm not standing up for that. I'm not clapping for that. But I look next to me and I see people that are just all out worshiping. I see people that are fully engaged. And so a mature follower of Jesus Christ doesn't dismiss them. He says, ah, there must be multiple ways to experience God. Not just the way that I've experienced him in the past. And it's real for them. And God, I want it to be real for me. I guess I haven't learned that yet. God, I guess there's something new. Some of us have some things to learn. For some of us, it's going to be learning how to be silent and still. When Jed did that thing earlier in the worship service and said, we're just going to be for a little bit and just say whatever comes to me. Some of you are freaking out. What? <laughs> there's no words on the screen. What am I supposed to do? Stand here with my hands in my pockets? It's okay. The Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us with words, with groans that that, that words cannot express. Some of us need to learn that God is not just found in the noise and the words on the screen. He's found in the stillness and the silence. Okay? We can experience God that way. For some of you, y'all, you need to learn how to clap on beat. Let me just tell you, okay? Some of you, you're just not, it's not working right now. So, okay. So if you're here, okay, and you look around and everybody else is going like this, get with the program, folks, okay? Some of you are just not gifted in that way. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing with you, okay? But here's the danger. Some of us, we say, oh, it's one of those clap songs. Oh, God's not in that because that's not what I grew up with. No, I read the Psalms and clappings in the Bible and shouting to the Lord is in the Bible and being still before the Lord is in the Bible and dancing. Uh, things are going to get out of hand pretty quick in here, okay? It's biblical, okay? Don't let your worship become boring and, st- and, and, and stale. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to limit God's work in our life to a genre of music. Are you more in love with your tradition of worship or with the God of that you worship. That's what it comes down to. And so the second question, number one, God, what do you want to teach me? The second question is this, what's my why? And some of you have maybe lost it. I'm here and I'm going through the motions, but something different had happened in the heart of Peter. Something different had happened in the heart of that music instructor and it become real for them. Psalms writes about David, 1 Samuel chapter 16. He puts it this way, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them from your limited worship vantage point. People judge by outward appearance. I like this. I don't like that. I like this sermon. I don't like that sermon. I like this way of worship. I don't like that way of worship. Uh, but time out. But the Lord looks at the heart. And that can get expressed in a lot of different ways. And some of you have lost your why. Some of you have lost your why, but here's the thing, you can get it back. And how do you do that? You be with Jesus every single day, Monday through Saturday, and not just an hour on Sunday morning. Be with him as if he was your best friend, the lover of your soul, the God that created you. And if you're with him the entire week, Sunday morning is the icing on the cake. Be with Jesus so much that when you walk in those doors, you don't have to reintroduce yourself on Sunday morning. You've been with him the entire time. It's just a continuation of That focus on Jesus, and and honestly, I can't think of a better person to help us kind of wrap this up than my good friend and colleague. Welcome up, Pastor Michael Hurst, up to the stage, really quick. Welcome him up. So here we are talking about not being limited to your vantage point. I don't, I don't want to be limited to my vantage point. And Pastor Hurst and I've had a lot of conversations about worship. And we don't always agree. No. We don't always see eye to no. eye. And so we've said that phrase again and again, sure. help me understand. Sure. Help me understand why that works and doesn't work or yes. whatever it is. But what mm-hmm. I, I want to hold in on is something really practical. Mm-hmm. If people have come the last two weeks here to Hope Elam, they go, well, that was different than that. Yes. And yet God was glorified in all of it. Yes. So when we encounter something new mm-hmm. or different mm-hmm. and we find ourselves in worship and I, and I go, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Mm-hmm. Some of us are so conditioned to being, uh, to being led yes. that worship is a passive experience. Mm-hmm. But I know that God desires us to have an active worship experience. How do you do that mm-hmm. in a very practical way? What does that look like for you, Pastor Hurst? Exactly. I, I would
1: just go by what we've seen on the screen. Yeah. It, it, it's a difference between knowing about him yeah. and knowing him. Yes. You can know about him reading and just intellectualizing him. But when you know him, like yeah. Paul says, I want to know him yep. in the power or of in his, his resurrection res- yes. and yep. the fellowship yep. of it. that's right. knowing him. That's that's right.
0: when your mother
1: died and your father died. That's yeah. when you yeah. need that God, you know him for yourself.
0: Yes. And it's personal. And that doesn't start. When you walk in those doors. No, every day. I know for you, it's an everyday experience. Every
1: day. Give us this day our yes.
0: daily bread. Right. Daily
1: bread. If right. we want to become a Bible-based, spirit-led, spirit-filled yes. church, we must chase God every day, yes. but in your own way. Right. Right. Your God is different than my God. Mm. Watch it, but He's the same God.
0: Yes. Oh, y'all will yep. get that when you get home, John. Yeah, they'll get that. That's for you. the way home. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. on the way home. That was too deep for you That's right. Yeah. Well, and here's the reality. I think for a lot of us, we say, that's great. I'm on board with that. Mm-hmm. I don't always feel like it. Yes. There is, if we can be honest, it, online here in the room, there's a lot of pain today. Ah. Uh, I don't know. We don't know all of your stories. Jesus. But I'm guessing if you're anything like me, there's been some Sundays where you've walked in here or online and said, I don't have it today. Yes. I don't feel like worshiping I how do you worship through your pain Wow! what, what does that look like because I know for wow. you, I'm, I'm, Michael I know some of your story it hasn't always been easy but something that I have I admire about you Jesus you don't you see us for about an hour a week but you mm-hmm. don't see us behind the scenes I have seen you worship at night and in the morning yes I've seen you worship to music that you love and music that you don't really like right And be all in. Yes. I've seen you worship when you've had a great day. Yes. When you're fired up and when it's been a terrible day. Mm -hmm. How do you worship through your pain? What does that look like for you? Yeah,
1: I have to, again, you know, (laughs) be in Bible-based Hebrews 13, 15. It's called the sacrifice of praise. Yes. That means you got to praise God when you don't feel like it. Yes. Just like he went to the cross for your sins and your transgressions when he didn't feel like it. So if God and yeah. Jesus sacrifice, then come mm. on, we need to sacrifice too. Yes. So come yeah. on, let's yeah. give God yeah. a sacrifice, of yeah. praise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't care if you don't want to do it. Yeah. Do it anyway. Don't wait. Shout right now.
0: Yes. We don't wait to feel like worshiping. We worship through it. And yes. the feelings come as a byproduct, not as the, the leader Right. too. And I think about this song that we're going to sing here yes. a little bit with Waymaker. There's this line I love even when I don't feel it, you're working. working. Could it be that God is working the most when you feel it the least? Jesus. Could it be that God is working when you least expect? I didn't get anything out of that sermon. I didn't get anything out of that worship. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. It can still be real for you, but that takes time. Yes. Worship is not about how I feel. It's about who God is, and when it becomes real for you, there's no denying it, and I'll just end with this story. It, it, five or six years ago, we do this event every year. It's called Baptisms at the River, and there's a lot of people that, that we do it at, down at Raccoon River, and we right, just have people right, come right. down. I kind of get my inner John the Baptist on, uh, you know, eat, eat locusts and camel's <laughs> hair and all that. It's my name, Mike. I mean, I just... Ah, yeah. you're loosening up, no. John. I love it. And... Uh, and I stand out in the water, and all the friends and family from everybody that want to get baptized are there on the beach. And one by one, they come out. And what I do is when people come out, I just ask them before we baptize them, is there anything that you want to say to God? And nobody takes me up on the offer. And then he was like the last guy in line. And this is Randy. It's taken from far away. This is five or six years ago. And, um, and he comes walking out, and, and I know enough about Randy's story to know you name it, he's been through it. Broken relationships. Multiple marriages and hurt and pain and addictions and abuse and giving up on the church, giving up on God. And yet it would become real for him. And he comes out and he says, I want to get baptized, Pastor John. And I said, okay, brother, is anything you want to say to God? And here's this tough, Exter- tough on the exterior, guy, just starts to weep, and he said, "Yeah, I do." And he looks up to heaven. He closes his eyes. He says, "Hey, Father, it's it's your son, Randy, and uh, I'm just so thankful to be here today." I God, I know that I don't deserve to be here today, but I am, and I'm just so thankful, God, for another chance. I'm thankful for your grace and your love. I know that I haven't always been a perfect man. I know that I, I run away from you, God, but I'm coming back to you today. I want to I live my life with you. And I just thank you so much for, for, for letting me be baptized and for loving a guy like me. And he's just got tears streaming down his face and he looks over at me as I'm bawling my eyes out and the first thing he says is, Hey, did I do okay? And I said, yes, Randy, that was perfect. And here's why. Because only you could have said that, Randy. And I just picture as I brought him underneath the water and back up to new life in baptism, all I could think about Was God smiling down from heaven just as he did on Peter when he gave the great confession saying, blessed are you Randy for that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. That came from your daddy in heaven and only you could have said that. It was real for Randy. It was real for Peter. It was real for the music teacher. Let it be real for you today. Come back to your first love. Find your why today. Let it be real for you. Amen? Let's stand for Holy Communion. Go ahead and grab your kits.